I'm John Graft, and I love Chicago real estate. Between showings, I stop in my favorite places, talk with local business owners, and bring their story to you. This is my Chicago. So instead of when people come in, trying to sneak past them to check them in, I can just pull out my phone. So how much has something like that changed since you guys have been doing this? Oh, the reservation software yeah. stuff? Uh, I mean, quite a bit. Um, like OpenTable was the first one, and they had pretty much cornered the market, but then Resi came in and absorbed a couple other platforms. And what they're doing is charging a um, monthly flat fee rather than what OpenTable charges, which is a uh, sort of per-reservation-based fee plus a monthly flat fee. So OpenTable would take a percentage of... Is it a percentage? Is that accurate? No, I think it's like literally like a dollar or something. I don't okay, remember. Okay, so a dollar for each reservation. For each reservation. And whether yeah. someone cancels or not is irrelevant? Um, that I don't remember because okay. we haven't used... Uh, open table. We switched over to Resi before the pandemic, so um, this would have been like three or four years ago, and I don't remember the exact breakdown of okay. yeah. Are you like Resi more because they don't have the percentage base or the fee base? It's just one flat fee. Well, at first, our biggest hesitation with Resi was that Open Table had the largest sort of user base because they were the first to really do online reservations. Yeah. Like, and they give you some... those points, right? Like my wife is, yeah. I, I call her an open table whore because she always just wants to like, do it on open table, get the points. I'm like, okay, chill out, relax. Like, right. We can eat anywhere we want. Well, I think what changed though is that um, as Resi started to absorb other things, they grew and I feel like their user base is bigger. And because Resi requires you to link your account to your cell phone, and you can also set um, credit card cancellation fees, okay. your um, likelihood of cancellation is way lower because it's linked to an actual phone number, whereas OpenTable, which started in 98, was just linked to an oh, email. Wow, really? Yeah, yeah. Like, it started in San Francisco in 98 when you people were making, like, literally, you know... It's like Craigslist era. Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, and so their user base, which is huge, so there's a lot of stuff on there that's, like, you know, your at rocketmail.com email that you're not using anymore. Are you, an, is, are you actually an open table user? I emailed someone at AOL yesterday. Right, yeah. And, and they're, a, they're a potential client. Yeah. And I'm always like, I see problems with this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so um, I don't know. I, can, I haven't really used open table in three or four years, so I can't really like speak to which one is truly better, but I do think that the... Uh, from like a monetary standpoint and us pretty much doing the same amount of covers that we did, mm -hmm. um, having a flat rate makes more sense, particularly if it's not hurting our business, you know what I mean? When you say covers, what does that mean? Covers, so there's a reservation, right? And then the, the party size of the reservation is four. That's four covers. Okay. So covers is the amount of total humans that you um, serve in an evening. So is it fair to say that's people at a table? Sure, but covers is the people that came in the entire... Ah, so you might have yeah. 200 covers in the evening? Correct. Okay. We won't because we're 24 seats. Because you're but boutique and cool. Yeah, because yeah. Well, yeah, we're in a, a tiny basement. But um, you, if you have 200 people in and out in the evening, that's 200 covers. Yeah. Guests. You could say guests, too. Patrons. Okay. Yeah. So that many people coming in. Yeah. In this business, I feel that you need the vo you either need the volume or you need the price point. 
and I don't feel like you're an intimidating price point, but I can also imagine how it would be difficult to produce the volume may, you may need here. When the space was taken over, what was that thought process like? Well, I think that our main concern, even b before the pandemic and post-pandemic, is having a per-person average that fits our pro forma, which is like basically our business model, right? Um, to where we can operationally cover everything, pay everyone's salary, um, and now also like health insurance and all that jazz. So that is just very much dictated by what you kind of need to make per seat or per person average, PPA, whatever you want to call that. And while ours is not like at the fine dining level, we are um, higher than more casual dining places because we're so small that we have to be, otherwise we wouldn't be able to achieve all of the goals in our business model and keep the lights on, basically. So I would say that, you know, we um, maybe are a little bit more expensive than uh, restaurants that you would classify in our same dining category, but I feel like we make up for that in quality of food and attentiveness and service in general because there's not a lot of people that can fit in here so you're always going to get attentive service you know out of all the people i've met with in the restaurant industry you seem just quickly we've only been sitting here for 20 15 minutes or so you seem to have a very strong understanding of the numbers and you've already said a number of acronyms that i haven't heard before oh well and that can also be you know different for every sort of business and how they talk about things. Mm -hmm. um, check average versus guest average. Per person average is the same thing as guest average, you know. Covers, guests, reservations, it's all just like thinking of the same thing in different ways, I guess. Are you a numbers person? Uh, not by choice. <laughs> <laughs> okay. yeah. so, so you've absorbed that or learned that through the process of being here? Yeah, yeah. I mean, and then you know, high school and college math and algebra helped, <laughs> but, um, you know, it is applicable in, I think, every small business and in one with such um, small margins as hospitality. Yeah. If you're not looking at that, you're just going to close probably, which is why you see, like, I forget what the statistic is. Cause it's all probably lots 90% in the first three months. Yeah. Who even knows what that is anymore now that we're like in a completely different world, different set of rules, like how that's going to pan out, you know? I agree. Yeah. Through, through the pandemic, you've seen restaurants that had a very strong following seem to do more. They seem to do better. They're more successful. Mm -hmm. And then anyone that was starting out or anyone that didn't have the strong audience that you needed, mm -hmm. they died. Yeah, I mean, I would say that the PPA situation um, definitely helped a lot of the mom and pops survive. And without that, there's no way that the amount of sales would meet the needs of paying employees. Just because takeout, you lose a huge portion of your profitability in takeout, which is the, no, the bar. Yeah, you the have bar. No you have no drinks. And even though you can do to-go cocktails, the perceived value of a cocktail in a bottle is not the same as when you get it in a glass with a garnish made in front of you and the likelihood of you getting 
three cocktails yes. to go is not the same. Well, I hate to admit it, but during everything that happened, I didn't order any to-go cocktails. I might have been on the street and ordered one when I was walking somewhere or doing something and I thought it was fun. Mm -hmm. But if I was ordering food in, I definitely didn't. Because here's my bar. Mm -hmm. Here's my fridge. It's already occupied. I'm good to go. Yeah. I mean, I invested in fixing up my at-home bar. Why not? Yeah. And then there's an, a million resources on how to make cocktails. Yeah. And, and it's fun. And it's fun. And there was people had time on their hands. Yeah. I think people also went through this like thing where it was like, oh, let's have fun making cocktails. And then <laughs> it's like, okay, let's figure out sobriety now because now I know how to make all the cocktails at home. There's definitely been a lot of people, I think, um, that have stopped drinking now, too. Yes. We were putting out way more mocktails. We are putting out way more mocktails. I didn't know yeah. what that was until yeah. this all happened. And then I, I also see the price point. I'm like, the price point's a little crazy. So it, it seems a lot in a lot of restaurants. Um, for us, I, ours isn't crazy. It's more than a soft drink, but less than a cocktail. And, How much is the cocktail here? Uh, 14. Okay. And then our specials, which are on our little specials board over there, ranges from 10 to 14. Okay. Or sometimes 15. We'll put up a cocktail that's 15, but it has a lot of special prep and ingredients. But um, so we, that's what I expected. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we're doing we're charging less than cocktails, but because it's still using like you know we juice our own pineapples, we juice all of our own stuff in house. And then we make um, a bunch of other house-made ingredients, syrups and tinctures and stuff like that. And we'll use those to create a mocktail. Now, sure, it's more expensive than like a soft drink that comes in a can, but you know, so is a dish that you get off a menu. Yeah. It's more expensive than something you reheat in your microwave because we're actually making all the components that go into the drink. Um, but I would say we probably charge less than a lot of places because we don't have any mocktails on our menu okay. we kind of do a thing where it's like oh do you like pineapple do you like ginger do you like, like lime that. so and it's on demand it, yeah and we just kind of like push the mocktail button on the POS and then put make something with ginger and then <laughs> the bartender whoever is doing it makes it and there's definitely like a few that are like basically this is basically a mojito without rum this is basically like kind of like a ginger ale this is basically like a, a pineapple ginger situation. So. I do love a, a good ginger beer. There's, there's nothing like that. They, they're good. Solid. It is. What is your role here? Um, I'm the general manager. Okay. I'm also the head server, you could say. Okay. Um, we have a total of six employees here. Um, myself, Michael, uh, Archie, my bar manager. You who is name Archie here? I What's love, that? You have someone named Archie here? Archie, yeah. I love that name. It's a classic Archie will be name. in probably in a little bit. You might get to meet him. And he's we, the bartender? He's the bartender okay. and beverage director. So he does all of the ordering and programming for the beverage side of the menu and also bartends full-time. And I do all of the operational other stuff. And then I'm the full-time server. And then Michael, who just recently joined us, is going to be our second server slash support member. And then we just roll with three people up here and three people in the back, and that's it. Thank you for the waters, by the way. Oh. Know, we, we've done a number of these interviews, and without being specific, it's always interesting to see how accommodating someone is. Mm -hmm. And I always tie it into the business because your business, like mine, is very service-oriented, and it's all about keeping the client or customer, in your, in your case, happy. And I always find it funny when someone doesn't offer me water. It's the simplest thing you can do. 
and I don't think anyone walks in off the street without having thirst. Yeah, it's also 90 degrees right now. Yeah, right? <laughs> yeah. On a hot day in Chicago, yeah. you walk in anywhere, you're like, I'm just, I nearly had to ask you for the water, I just want the water. Yeah. So thank you for that. No problem. What were you doing before this? Before this, I worked at our other restaurant that uh, didn't survive, which was Bar Biscay, um, and that was in West Town. I was the general manager there. On Chicago? Uh, Chicago, yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. I remember that. Uh -huh. And so it was a very similar sort of style to this place, but it was 90 seats instead of 24. I, I think 85 seats instead of 24, which is what we have in here. Um, and we focus a lot on Spanish and French cuisine as well. We do a lot more of the pinchos style stuff, which is like the small one or two bite dishes from like Galicia and Spain where they like, it's kind of like a bar food thing. Yeah. Um, very hard to kind of make an 85 seat restaurant survive a pandemic. And so it didn't go well. Um, but here we were able to keep chugging along and now I actually worked here in 2017 and was, came on to work here and open the other restaurant. And so did Archie, my bartender and bar manager, he kind of moved over the, there as well too. And now we're just back here. It's kind of like a rewind to the staff that was here um, in 2017. So that's interesting. That's, I'd say it's like San Sebastian, definitely Spanish, mm -hmm. French style food. I would imagine there'd be a higher margin on a business like that. Like I think of somewhere like Cafe Barbariba, mm -hmm. they're on top of us everywhere, mm -hmm. and it's it's fun. People like it. I think they drink more when they have that. Mm -hmm. What's the theme here? Well, we're named after MFK Fisher, Mary Frances Kennedy Fisher, who is a food writer in the '30s and '40s. She has a bunch of different volumes of work, um, and they're kind of like prose narrative style writing about food, a lot about travel. Um, she focused a lot on Spain and France as well, but we kind of get a little bit more of, I think, a larger playground because it's not technically as specific because it's really based on an author rather than a region. Mm -hmm. um, I think the easiest way to think about it is she's kind of like definitely a predecessor to someone like Anthony Bourdain, who treated okay. food journalism as also travel journalism. That was her, her mainstay started things like the Napa Valley Wine Review and stuff like that too. So is this a tribute to her? It is. Um, so we just went with MFK and the owners, Scott and Sari Worsham, actually got the green light from her family to go with that moniker and that's that. That's it's, cool. it's a tribute to her writing and like sort of style of dining. Her, one of her biggest quotes is, first we eat, then we do everything else. Sort of like when you set the table, you're like setting the stage for a good time. That's hers. I've heard that before. Yeah. I didn't know who it was attributed to. Yeah, yeah. When you have owners, so this is the first interview we've done that hasn't been with the owners, but it yeah. seems like it's your place. It's not at all my place. It is very but much it's their not, place. But I, but yeah. I feel like you own it. Well, we have worked together well, for. Only own the responsibility, not own the place. Right? Sure. Well, I mean, you know, we have. I've worked with this kind of same team for four or five years now, so it's like. Um, I want, I want this place to succeed because I'm very invested in it because it, you know. Um, pays your bills. Pays you my just bills. said you bought a condo. I did, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, like, I need this. Yeah. Well, I mean, that also has to, there's like some really cool first time home buyer um, stuff through Freddie Mac that mm -hmm. came out as a part of the um, uh, stimulus package. That was, that was super helpful as mm -hmm. well, too. Um, Where'd you end up buying? 
Uh, in Logan Square. Okay. Yeah. Whereabouts? So, um, near Armitage and Kimball. Why'd you choose that area? I've lived in that roughly that area for the past eight or nine years, mm-hmm. kind of like hopping around different apartments there. I just really like it over there. Um, my favorite bar, Best Intentions, what, which hasn't reopened, is over there. I like the coffee shops over there. There's a Dominican restaurant that saves my life some days. That's right there. So, uh, Ro- Rosa's um, Lounge right there, the Blues Place. No. Oh, Rosa's is great. Yeah. yeah, it's been there since like the 40s or 50s or something like I that. I think of yeah. Armitage around where you are. Yeah. And first up, I come to Scofflaw. I think of the gym mm-hmm. bar. Mm-hmm. And then I think I go to Map Room in Bucktown. That's Bucktown, yeah. But everything in between is is there as the periphery. Man, Rosa's Lounge is legendary. I think it's been... I gotta check this it's out. Like, it's, it's never hit my radar. It's like... A miniature version of Kingston Mines. Okay. Yeah, it's it's great. Um, it, it, I don't. If you like live music and blues and, I go there. Okay. <laughs> yeah. And it's like uh, in the neighborhoods. I mean, not that. I mean, you know, Kingston Mines isn't exactly in the loop, but it's a little bit, you know, more well known. And Roses is like the locals' blues bar, if okay. that makes sense. I feel like if someone was going to do blues and they were going to come to Chicago, they were going to hit Kingston Mines. Yes. And they're going to hit blues across the street, maybe. Right. And they might hit what, Buddy Guys or some other place in the city mm-hmm. that has a bigger venue for it. Well, I mean, you know, the West Side has blues, too. There's a whole style called never, the, West, never, the West Side Shuffle. I never think of the West Side and I think of blues. That's why it really caught me off guard. Yeah. Are they having shows every night of the week or, you know, for the nights I, they're open? Uh, I don't know what, what their schedule is right now. Um, they can have shows again. I haven't actually been back since things reopened, but I did uh, see some stuff on their stream. I watched their stream a few times. So there's still live stream going? Uh, I don't know if the live stream is still going, but when, you know, there was nothing to do but live stream and go on a walk, I did a couple of their live streams. And okay. I did some empty bottle live streams, too. Those were fun. So were they playing music, just live stream? And, yeah. Okay. A lot of places, a lot of the venues were doing live streams or doing, like, a pre-recorded, then buy tickets, watch a live stream sort of thing. Okay. Yeah. That was fun. It, like, did that thing where we, you know used the cocktail bar at home that we had established because let's make drinks at home and like yeah it's a good time did you do any streaming stuff like did you try to no I'm not so we did this stuff but we we didn't do anything live we were just out there creating videos every single day and that's Mm kind of how this was all birthed Mm -hmm. we uh, my favorite places disappeared and because I don't have a car I Uber everywhere yeah I wasn't able to have my same structure. And my structure was a lack of a structure. Okay. But it was going to this appointment. Okay, you know what? I never tried this restaurant. I always wanted to. It's nearby. Why don't I go ride a bike over there? Why don't I go walk over there? I'll hang yeah. out there for a few hours, get some work done. I usually had a laptop with me or I'm doing things from my phone. And I go from place to place to place. And in between appointments, I hang out. And you get to know those people. You get to know those owners. And... That's what started all of this because it was hard to see the places I loved the most disappear. Mm-hmm. What, what was like the place that disappeared that was the the one you loved the or what was on your what's your list? Well, you know, thankfully nothing actually disappeared for the long run. Oh, okay. but it was that time where everything was just shut down. Yeah, and you're like, are you going to disappear? Yeah, are you going to be open again? Yeah, and I think if I really thought about it, I could think of a few places, mm. but I didn't really have these favorites because I'd go from neighborhood to neighborhood to neighborhood, and it was mm-hmm. just okay. I haven't been here. Why don't I try there? Okay. Or if I'm in my own neighborhood, 
I live in the Gold Coast. I'm like, well, RH was kind of my second office. Okay. Because it's super nice. You can sit there. It's air conditioned. It's good. Uh, there are a number of places like that that you frequent. Yeah. What, what were you doing before this? Before this? During the pandemic? I was... Before the pandemic. Oh, before, before the pandemic. Before MFK. Well, I was at Barbara's Gay, then MFK before that. Then I was the, the AGM at and beverage person at Chop Shop before okay. that. In Bucktown? Yeah, I guess that's Bucktown Wicker Park. Yeah. Before that, I worked at a place called The Kitchen, which is actually like um, a larger corporate restaurant group. Uh, the Kitchen Cafe, their first one's in like Boulder, Colorado. And they were like, on, it, that was in that where everything was farm to table wave, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But now it's just kind of like, well, shouldn't you just be doing that? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, um, And then... Before that, I was working at Silver Cloud, if you remember that place. No. Oh, on um, that was in the Buck- train on, like, like no. West Town? No, that's Silver Plum. That's Silver Palm. Palm. That's Palm. Palm. Silver Cloud was a little neighborhood, like, comfort food and beer place in Bucktown on Damon and Wabanzia. Um, and actually, Archie and I worked there together as well. And I also bartended uh, for a while at Gold Star Bar. So th- those were all, everything I just mentioned was either, like, Bartending or managing, bar managing, or like a amalgamation of those things. Was there anything in particular that made you gravitate towards the service industry? Well, so I was a musician in a past life. So we traveled sometimes up to six weeks at a time. Um, this was when I was in my early 20s. And the uh, service industry is adaptable to people having time off because there's a lot of seasonal work and stuff like that um and so it just worked where i could take weeks at a time off and still come back and have a job and then um i'm not a famous musician if you didn't know that so um now i'm in the industry and it's like i do think that being a musician and traveling you spend a lot of times in bars and restaurants and so i do have an affinity for them particularly ones that are good and enjoyable so I think that helped me kind of like settle into a position like this. It's just like spent spent all my youthful years in in bars and restaurants and cafes, and I know what I like and I don't like. So I have some experience <laughs> to help a place out, you know. What kind of music did you play? Well, I played in a group that was like probably you could consider like alt country with like psychedelia involved with it uh played another group that was more i'm here yeah and you're here sure psychedelia or psychedelic psychodelic like 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 you know like it was trippy music sure it had like a lot of like country it had roots americana and then like you know a little bit of like psychedelic poured into it we're gonna get a song. We're gonna we're gonna play it. I mean, play. it was it was. I don't know. I can send you. I'll send you a link. And then Is that I, Ted. No, that's uh, a. That's, Gar- that's Garth. Garth. Yeah. But I think Bill and Ted. I think oh, Bill my, and Ted. That's Garth. My, from, yeah. My fiance has uh, Wayne, and it's the same picture. So we just kind of like. Um, but I can I can send you a link to that, and then I played. In, I played in a bunch of different groups, and for the one I was first describing, that's the one that did the most touring when we were in our 20s, early 20s, yeah. So you stopped doing that. Uh-huh. How did you decide that was, that was the end? 
I mean, it, it just gets harder and harder to live out of a van. And eventually, it's like everyone sort of moves on, you know? It's, it, it's a decision that makes itself sometimes. Okay. Yeah, if that makes sense. I can see that. That's hard. It's, yeah. Whenever you're doing anything, and especially, that's an entrepreneurial endeavor, whether someone wants to look at it like that way or not, right? doesn't mean there was a lot of thought behind it. doesn't mean it made sense, but you're following your passion. You're mm-hmm. going towards something, and you're hoping for the best. And every musician that exists started there, Yeah. right? Successful or not, it mm-hmm. all started with the same passion. So that brought you into this space. Mm-hmm. What drew you to the first uh, establishment to start working there? I mean, it's just where I already, I just needed a job, and I was like, I was like 19 years old, and I was like, took a server job somewhere, and just, that was it. I was in college, and it was a part-time job, and that just sort of, after college, was an easy transition to, like, um, continue to play music and have something on the side, because you can, you can just be like, hey, I can only work uh, Monday through Thursday at a lunch place, and then devote your weekend to doing music it's not a lot of uh, other stuff you can do that at, you know yeah. and you can still like you know um, and in terms of like minimum you typically make a lot more than minimum wage so you can work only three or four days and then still have three or four days to devote to the music part of it um, so I think it's just I mean you find a lot of artists in the service industry because it's something that can be part-time and is typically a lot more lucrative than um, retail or, you know, if you're an app person, what is that called? A gig worker? Gig worker, yeah. An app person? An app person. <laughs> See, you're, I'm learning new things too, terms too. A uh, gig worker. Um, yeah, I mean, I think there's always been tons of artists and musicians in the service industry. Being a GM now, mm-hmm. does that type of mentality bother you or frustrate you sometimes where it's like I can only work Monday and Friday um it used to it doesn't anymore and I think that the pandemic helped me kind of like gave me enough time to think about that um and when we were working at Bar Biscay and it was a much bigger place and a lot of moving gears a lot of different people to consider their time off and their needs sometimes I would get frustrated with that but I just try not to anymore because the whole point of what we do is to help people enjoy their time and to have a good time and if our staff doesn't like being here because they're they have to be here and they have no other choices and they don't get the time off that they need then it's like that's not going to make it to the guests you know and you know you think it shines through on the food i think it shines through on the food on the service i mean i'm sure you've been somewhere and you're like that was good but it was just kind of like Especially, Did anyone want to be there? Especially when yeah. you've been somewhere yeah. and it was great, and then you come back again, and nothing compares to the original experience. There's zero consistency. Yeah, I always worry about that. I worry about that in our business. I'm like, I want someone who bought a home with us this year, and if they buy a home with us five years from now, to have a very similar experience. If anything, I want it to improve. Yeah. And whether you're a restaurant, a hotel, a realtor, doesn't matter what business, you want the same things to happen every single time along the way. Yeah, I can see that, but I'm not always... I, consistency is important in restaurants and hospitality, but having a sort of robotic consistency 
is almost a downside and and not why people I think go out to eat. They want an experience and if it's sure if it's exactly the same all the time, you know, you, that that's McDonald's. You know what I mean? Like that McDonald's ha- hamburger. It's always the same. That 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 uh for mo- for the most part, right? No, yeah, 100% yeah. right. I I guess it's the consistency but a change of menu. So the consistency right. is service. Sure. An experience, mm-hmm. but you want some variety in the food, so you you have something new to bring to your palate. Yeah, I, I get that too, but with service as well, if you approach every single guest and every single table with like this, these are the steps that you do. Oh, it'll never work. It'll never work That's because because you're service. gonna be you're dealing with humans, yeah. and and humans are wildly inconsistent. Incons- the same patron can come in a thousand times and every visit they're going to be different because they ate something different that day something happened on their walk over that was different those are the biggest reasons yeah, yeah. you don't it, know what, what yeah. they experienced before they walked through the door right so you have these tools of consistency right these things that you can use for every guest but then you sometimes have to throw those out the window and use your problem solving brain just like anything else just like I'm sure when you're you're you know, making a sale on a house or a car. We just bought or, a house. It wasn't it, smooth, was it? it? Actually, it wasn't so bad. Yeah. Um, we bought a condo, and it really, outside of like um, some like first-time home buyer course thing I had to take, which was the biggest pain in the butt. Um, it really wasn't that bad. We had requested some repairs. The previous owner just said, "Okay, sure." And that was it. And there wasn't as much back and forth as other people. The crazy thing was is that. We got to see very few places because we would make an appointment of something we saw and it would disappear. And we did a condo, which they actually, the place we got, its assessment went down 4%, whereas like single family homes all went up like crazy. Yeah. Yeah. But it still, I think, forced the same. It's like, oh, some condos have gone down. So now because the interest rate is low and the price, it forced the same situation where people snatching up even like... It didn't. It's like such a crazy time. You know more about it than I do. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Everything you said is right. Yeah. For your homebuyer grant, what did you get? Uh, I mean, I don't remember at this point. It was something. Was it seventy five hundred, fifteen, or seventy? Yeah. 70, it was like they covered something at closing costs. It was okay. something like a few thousand dollars extra at closing costs, which took us uh, made it so that we then had twenty percent down saved up. You know what I mean? Because okay. that extra. So we, it was able to bridge the gap. Right, and then we didn't have to ha- uh, pay the insurance on our monthly mortgage rate, which has kept our. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah. So that's why. So the specifics of it, I I don't remember because that was happening at the same time as we were reopening here. Yeah. And so there's just like so much going on. Yeah. What's it like opening a restaurant like this? And what's it like? How do, how do you choose the menu? How do you choose what's being served? I don't choose the menu. Our our chef, Matt Ginsburg, Matthew Ginsburg. And then also our owners kind of hash that out. So and he, go ahead. Does that work on like a quarterly basis, a weekly basis? When does that meeting of the minds happen to choose what's on the menu? So we're always looking at product mixes as well, things that are doing well and aren't doing well. And um, the things that aren't selling and, and are just kind of like dying, you know what I mean? We, we need to take those off. And that kind of will inform you. I mean, that's a very much numbers answer to it, but for real, it's that's the right answer. Yeah, it's like if it's this thing isn't performing, even though we love this dish, um, we need to 
put something else on the menu because it's just taking up space and that's potential sales that we're losing. What's an example of something that you thought would do well or that you saw on the menu and expected to do well but didn't ever remove it? So we were doing this New York strip that was like cooked in a very traditional French way where you like butter baste it and the cast iron and sear on both sides finished in the oven with some wilted greens and mushrooms, right? And uh, meat prices have gone up a lot, but um, just talking to other friends in the industry, they were still like, our steaks are selling, our steaks are selling, right? Um, my girlfriend or my fiance works at Dusex and their, their New York strip, or was it, no, their ribeye, which they were pricing, I think, for the same size cut, like $14 more than us. They were like, we're selling out every Friday and Saturday. And I was like, great, let's go with it. We thought it was really tasty. It's a steak, not too much to think about. It does not move here. I think it just has to do with it. It's not, it doesn't fall into it what- It doesn't fit into what you come here for. Well, we've always, but that other thing is, on our previous iteration, uh, before the pandemic, the steak on the menu, whatever it was, just sold. Really? Yeah, and I think that maybe what's happening now is something of what you said. It's like all the places that had a following and had fans, right? Those survived. Yeah. So I feel like we're getting mostly our fans, and this but previously where we're getting a lot of people trying us for the first time. I don't. Maybe we're getting some. So that's what it'd be. Someone yeah. is coming here and they yeah. saw a steak on the menu. Right. Like, hey, it's safe. Yeah. Let's exactly. Do that. Exactly. And, and I, your regulars are like, no, I mean, we're fish. We're yeah. Like, exactly. What's going on in the seafood department? Exactly. They're like, we want some shellfish. So we're here to eat some clams and mussels and stuff. I would never come here and order anything that wasn't seafood. Well. I think that would be a mistake because the thing that's replacing <laughs> this steak is albondigas, which are um, Spanish meatballs, and it's a pork and veal oh, meatball, and it's really good. And that's an entree? It's going to be entree size, okay. yeah. And our entrees kind of live in the world where it's like they're probably too big for you to finish, right? Okay. Most of that's, them. That's the opposite of every other restaurant. But Chicago. we want you to share, and we have like this one, two, three on our menu, which is like small, medium, large. Okay. And we're like, get some things from each section and like just share everything and we'll have a good time. Like that's the, but you know, you can't really tell people how to eat. So we never, never say you can't, you can't order your own food. Well, I feel like you go to any restaurant in Chicago now with, with exceptions, of course, but average speaking, you walk in and it's like, hi, welcome to so-and-so. Have you dined with us before? Yes. We serve small plates. We recommend yeah, you order sure. three or four for the table. It's a very yeah. replicable experience. And as soon as I, I hate to say it, but as soon as I hear that, I'm like, I slump in my chair a little bit. I understand. And see, to your point that you were talking about with consistency, consistency in service, you need to like be gauging your guests and see if they need that spiel or not. Yeah. Be like, have you dined with us before? Um, and then if they say no, it's like, well, do you have any questions on how the three sections on this right on this question. menu works? Yeah. And then normally someone will be like, yeah, I'm really, I really don't understand. Then you can like, whatever, give that spiel, right? But if you were to respond, you're like, well, is it kind of like the kind of grow in size and you share? It's like, yeah, you get it. So we didn't have to do that spiel. So like coming in with that McDonald's-like consistency of service to everyone would be off-putting to you who's like, yeah, I've eaten at a restaurant since 2010. Everyone's doing it this way because it's like, that's how you should eat. <laughs> it's a very valid point. I always say people want that. People always want to, people say you should treat everyone the same. And I completely disagree. I'm never going to treat a child the same way I treat an adult. And I'm not going to treat a 70-year-old person the same way I treat a 30-year-old person. Uh -huh. And 
lacking the nuance is lacking an understanding of how the world actually works, and it's disrespecting someone for their individualism. Yeah. And I like what you're saying because you're going to sit down, you're going to come here and eat, and the server's going to talk to you. Yeah, me. I'll talk to you. You're going to talk to this. And you're going to wonder, okay, are you picking up what I'm saying? Yeah. And if I have the questions, I'm going to ask you. Mm -hmm. But when you sit down and you get that same spiel, your eyes glaze over, you're like, okay, so get the small plates and let's mm -hmm. go. Yeah, I mean, there's a million different ways to approach. I think the the idea of treating everyone the same, it's should be you should treat everyone with the same courtesy, right? Yes. With respect, the respect and courtesy, dignity. dignity, and you should open with that. But some people don't even want that. Like you don't think so? Oh, absolutely. Like it, I mean, tell me more. Okay, sure. So you get. Um, you know, your neighbor Jerry Lewandowski comes in and he just likes to give you a hard time and talk to you about how you don't have Bud Light on the menu. <laughs> like, he wants to riff with you. Uh -huh. He doesn't want the the airs, you know. Of he wants the, a hang. He wants a hang, right? And so and if you give him, like, oh, yes, sir. But if you come back, it's like, what, you don't like beer? We got great beer. You know, like, if you don't treat him with the same energy, he's not going to be receptive to the things that you're doing there. So you start with the same level of dignity, but when your neighbor Jerry comes in, who borrowed your snowblower and didn't bring it back, like, you've got to treat him like your neighbor Jerry. <laughs> Do you have a lot of Jerry's around here? Um, there's all types. I imagine you have a very strong following. We have a good following, I would say. I believe that. Yeah. I haven't eaten here in a number of years. We're going to come here soon. I've been putting this off. But I, I came here when you guys first opened up, and I loved it. And then I, I used to live right up the street, and I moved, and I just never came back. And this is the type of place that definitely you go to and you're like, I like this, I'm gonna come back here. And especially your bar, like it's very comfortable, it's very inviting. And what you only have how many people can you see here at once? We have twenty four seats in here right 24 now. Twenty four seats. Which is that we including used to the have. bar? It's including the bar. So minus the bar, we're at what, fifteen? Well, the bar is the restaurant. There's not a single person that sits at this bar that doesn't have a three course meal. Okay. It's very rare that that happens. So it's also like you'd probably be upset if that happens. We're not uh, upset. It's not your ideal customer. The folks that um, are, we do have followers that are just like, I'm coming in at five o'clock. I'm going to sit at the bar. I'm going to have a snack and a glass of wine and get out of here. That's great. The ideal customer is people that get it, and that person gets it. Where it's like we have good small plates, we have good wine. You come in at five, knowing that you can get in and get out. That's an ideal customer as well. At seven or eight o'clock time, it's like it's very rare that people don't have at least two or three courses when they're at, at, even at the bar because it's just a very food it's a food driven place. This is a um, you know we have you have the ability to order a majority of the menu when you come in. If you come in with four people, you could just be like, "We'll take most of this, please," and you could probably cover it because it's like. At, at its most um, petite, it was, it's been 12 dishes, and at its biggest, I think it's been 15 dishes, you okay. know? And we try to keep them, um, you know, if, if it's 12, it's like four in each section. If it's 15, it's like five or something like that. How do you circulate those things, the menu? Well, we talked about the product mix thing. That, that's one thing. But is it, are you doing it, how often is that conversation had? Is it with what's available? Uh, we have it probably every few weeks. Okay. 
Um, when I see a chalkboard, it always excites me. So I'm like, okay, you guys can just go and do what you want. And you're not set by this thing. You print it out and you're bound to, and it's going in the leather binding. And, and okay, this is what the menu is. I love a chalkboard because it's like, hey, you know what? I just talked to the fish guy and he yeah. let me know these are in town and these are on special. I'm doing this tonight. We, we still do have a printed menu as well, too. Right. But it is, um, we do all of our own in-house printing. And the, and the food page is a separate page from okay. the rest. So if there's a change that day, we just pull the trigger and do it. Um, like yeah. Um, the chalk smart way to do it. It's available. The chalkboard was originally when we were reopening. We didn't know what level of comfort we'd be at. Um, and so our original idea was to do the QR codes, right, and then also have the chalkboard because some people just hate the QR code. They just hate it. I love it. Yeah. But I'll tell you, yeah. when I finally got a leather-bound menu or just a piece of paper menu back in my hand, mm -hmm. it made me happier. Yeah. And I don't want to be at a menu and be using my phone. Or excuse me, I don't want to be at dinner and using my phone. Mm -hmm. I want my phone in my pocket. I want everyone's phone in their pocket. And I think everyone should give everyone the respect that's due that we all came here together to bond and sit and talk and eat and drink and do that. And when you bring in the, when you're forced to enter the phone into the environment, yeah. it gets, one one phone comes out, then another phone comes out. And mm -hmm. they're hard to ever get put away. Yeah, and the phone is always you can't just look at a menu there's i have what one two three i have four messages so if i'm just scanning a qr code right now then i'm pulled away into these three or four messages yeah, my, my wife yells at me all the time because we'll be doing something and she's like hey do this and i open up my phone and you know five minutes later she's like uh are you i'm like oh i'm, I'm so sorry i totally forgot yeah you know it's like an instagram yeah. track you open up instagram you're there for 15 minutes yeah i meant to just check the messages and make sure there's no one i need to get back to or i need to post something or whatever but no 15 minutes are gone and i have no idea where they went i have no idea what i was looking at and yeah there it goes so when you put something together like a wine menu mm -hmm. does the beverage director do that yeah archie pretty much does all the final decisions on that stuff um but we all try to taste everything together um I think the main thing is we, as a team, put up things for everyone to try. For food, we set up menu tastings where uh, Matt Ginsberg and our, our, our head chef, executive chef, and then Saul Friedman, our, our sous chef, they put up everything. We all sit down and taste it together, dish by dish, and see what works. That's for like a big menu change, right? Um, and then for if you ever need another eye, <laughs> yeah, very um, elevated palate. <laughs> um, and then for beverage, you know, like today, we're going to update some wines on the list. So all of the front of house team is going to sit in on on the wine tasting, which is all, all three of us, the entire team. Um, and then we kind of put notes. And then when our whoever we're tasting with kind of leaves, we kind of discuss what was whatever. And then Archie will make kind of the final decision based on like our tasting and discussion. And then he also does all the cocktails. And we probably, before a cocktail hits a menu, it gets at least like 10 minor tweaks. And so then we'll taste it and then go from there. And it's also, I think, a good way to train people is for them to be a part of the actual development of the dish or the drink or the wine menu because they're getting you're getting way more knowledge there than you ever will from reading stuff well that's half the fun when you order yeah. something and someone tells you the story behind it or how it came about 
how it came to be. Mm-hmm. I always love hearing those things, the little anecdotal parts of the experience that so I think bother some people. And then you have someone like me, it's like, please, tell me more. Keep going. Stay here as long as you want. You want yeah. to have a seat? Let's do it. Well, I like it when it comes to certain things, but in the booze world, it's kind of funny because it's, it's hard to tell what is something that the brand made up as a backstory that they're kind of pushing on people. Let's like, make the drink, and then we'll figure out the story later. Yeah, yeah. Well, well not necessarily the drink, but just, like, literally, like, the, bo- uh, the bottle of liquor that it uh-huh. comes from. There's, like, a lot of, like, ah, everyone's claiming me the first one to do this. Someone's lying, you know? There's it's a like lot tequila. of tequila. Like, okay, so we got a celebrity. We found a mezcal <laughs> factory in Mexico. Now we're just going to slap his name on it, and we're going to sell it for half a billion dollars a year later. Yeah, like that, kind of. Um, I think what we try to do when we talk about things is like what is what drink is good with what because that that to me that's the most important thing it's like the story behind it is cool and it's good to know and it's bonus points if you know that um, there's already kind of like a hard explanation of the restaurant's name (laughs) so giving the history of something sometimes people their face they're just like what why are you telling me about where this rum is from um, knowing what it tastes like and what food it will be good with is like that I think makes it really great yeah were you part of finding this space I was not I joined them in 2016 2017 um, and they had already this was already established uh, Archie our bar manager came here about six months into their first year and has been with the company ever since. So, Do you know why they decided this space or how they came about it? Don't. No. I, I know that they wanted a small, intimate space, um, and they wanted uh, it to have, you know, like you said, sort of like elements of feeling like it was not in Chicago. Yeah. Like the whole idea is you come in here and you feel like you are no longer in Chicago for whatever reason. You're like, oh, it's kind of like, New York a little bit but it also has like a very tropical beachy vibe yeah and I would say it's open and bright for being in a basement well we don't have the dim lights on right now these are all like the hue bulb lights too we do all the weird lighting too Um, but the whole idea is like you're supposed to come in here and feel like you're no longer where you were and in the winter doesn't ever establish that because you come in here and it's just like tropical and bright and cozy um, it just, I think it's that, that's like a good vibe to generate in a restaurant. I feel that way when I go to like Le Bouchon in Bucktown, you walk in there and you're like, oh, I just am, it's like the 1970s in a cafe and a French cafe. And it's always been here, you know, Bucktown to a cafe. Yeah. 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 And off Damon too. You're like, okay, so the yeah. bus just went by. Yeah, yeah. A biker just almost yeah. hit me. Let me go in here. Oh. And you're like somewhere else all of a sudden. Yeah. 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 So that's kind of what we're going for. I bring that. I bring up Le Bouchon because that's like a fan favorite amongst staff and owners. It's, I, think. I think that's a lot of chefs, a lot, a lot of industry people's. Mm-hmm. It's on their list. Yeah. The I met the mother that started that place and her son once. They looked at a condo I was selling right down mm-hmm. the street on the six hundred six. Oliver. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. And uh, really nice people, and you could tell the the love for what they were doing. Because mm-hmm. few people get rich doing this. Right. There has to be a passion behind it. Mm-hmm. For yourself, how does that come into play? 
Oh, I mean, I think that, like I said, I really uh, grew an affinity for bars and restaurants, having spent a lot of time in them, and some of the most fun times and nicest people I have met in life have been in this setting. Um, and I was kind of already working in this environment as a result of that, so it just kind of just progressed, I think. I don't know. Sometimes this is this is the life that chose me. <laughs> you get to know a lot of that. I imagine it's hard building these relationships. And then at a certain point, someone's going to let you down. And they're going to let you down repeatedly, and you're going to have to let them go. How do you build the relationship with someone and just as quickly tell them they're gone? Um, I mean, that's never fun. Like, uh, terminating an employee. I would say that... You're so official about like, terminating me. Yes. I can't even say it. I yeah. I'm, like, fired and gone. Fire. Um, it's like when someone says someone died, they're like, they've expired. Yeah. Th this employee is no longer with us. Yeah. Um, oh my God, Jack died? <laughs> what happened to Jack? When's the service? <laughs> yeah. I think that more often than not, people move on when it's a bad fit and it's actually rare that you end up having to fire people okay. um, if you set goals and like a plan for improvement or strict rules for a person who's underperforming a lot of times they just will find somewhere else to work um, and that is also my way of not having to fire people is being like hey you're not doing this this and this we're going to come up with a plan for improvement. I want you to schedule for this extra training. We're going to expect to see this during your shift, X, Y, and Z. Usually that person who's kind of been getting away with things, then it's like, oh, I don't want to work here. If I can't, if I can't get away with this, I don't want to work here, and they find another job. So that's wise. Yeah. Instead of firing them, creating this contemporaneous situation, you create one where they're not living up to their end. It's made clear mm -hmm. the expectations have been drawn. Yeah. And they just bow up. That happens a that happens a lot if you approach it with that manner. And that actually comes from management training I received a long time ago when I was working at the kitchen, which is that place that's like more corporate store. The um, idea was you you have to set an expectation and if you don't set expectations with people, then you can't hold them accountable. It makes and, sense. Yeah. yeah. And, and so, so if you set, set an expectation that you have both agreed on, it's like, hey, I noticed that you are um, about 15 minutes late every single day, and I need you to be here on time. So next week, let's be on time every day. And if not, we're going to have to have a conversation about it. So, you know, even though that's like obviously something that's in probably the employee handbook or an agreement or whatever, you need to reiterate that, make that agreement, expectation, and then circle back and holding people who are underperforming to the same standards that you have set out, verbalizing it, getting it on paper, more often than not, they will just be like, I don't want to work here because I, the standards that you're holding me to don't fit what I want to do here. Does that always happen? No. Sometimes you then have to then document, write people up. This is the really not fun part of restaurants. <laughs> so, I mean, and you just have to document all of that and then terminating people is just really bad and the worst thing is the worst uh, firing of an employee is when 
through no fault of their own, they cannot perform. That's the worst. You, they just can't. And you say, well, I, maybe we can move you into this position. And they're like, no, I don't want to do that. It's like, well, you're unable to meet the requirements of this position, so we have to let you go. And that's a huge bummer. With the wage increases that have happened in Chicago, how has that affected hiring? And you mentioned earlier, does this business provide health care for the employees? Yeah, so we added a 4% surcharge to all of our bills, which can be removed upon the request of the guest. Okay. Um, and that goes towards covering uh, health insurance for all employees that work um, full-time or full-time part-time, over 31 hours of the full-time part-time. Okay. For, and that just depends on what specific carrier you're working with, what the full-time, part-time um, minimum is. I saw, what's his name in New York? Danny Meyer. Danny Meyer. Yeah. And that's, I think, who, who popularized, popularized, popularized that idea. Yeah. And I've seen it in a number of places in Chicago, and I think it's right. Uh, mm-hmm. I think everyone should have health care. I think our government should provide it. That's a whole other ball of wax and gambit, something we don't want to talk about. It should... It, if not, it should at least be something that doesn't eat up an uh, incredible amount of yes. someone's expenses. Yes. And if, it's, Maybe if, if you're it's, adding 4% and it can be easily taken away, yeah. I think that's a reasonable request of any guest. It is. Um, so we've only had a couple people. I think two guests mention it since opening that they thought it was not correct. We offered to take it off. They said, no, keep it on. Their suggestion is just build into the cost of food. That's tough for us because we don't have the buying power that other places do. So if we added 4%. I, I disagree with that. Yeah. If, if you see it on the menu, when someone before someone comes here, they look at your price. Yeah. And if you're comparing prices, I don't think that's the best way to approach any restaurant, but yeah. many people do. If you're looking at the price of an entree here, an entree yeah. there, mm-hmm. you don't know any of the variables. You don't know the size. Right. You don't know the prep. You don't know any of it. But people are going to look at it and be like, it's a little cheaper here. Exactly. And they're both offering steak frites, so what's the matter? Exactly. exactly. And so then you lose a sale yeah. because someone didn't, whatever. I don't think whoever brought that up to you thought that through. Uh, you don't have to say anything. Yeah, I don't, I, I, I don't, can't read minds, so I don't know if they thought it through or not. Yeah. And your daily, what, what, can, you, can you explain a day to me and actually a day in a week? So like a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. Mm-hmm. I think the weekend's pretty clear. You're serving people. You guys are dying to death. You have as many people as you can take. Um, but as you're preparing throughout the week for that, what's it look like? So Wednesdays is kind of like the administrative day where we do things like this. Um, and my imperfect produce guy is calling me. He'll figure it out. Um, we do stuff like this where we do interviews, but we do I do all of my office work on days like this. Um, the kitchen is full-on prep all day on Wednesday. Uh, and also menu development stuff. We usually have like wine tastings on Wednesdays. What is menu development? Menu, menu development, development um, literally means making food and tasting it, or making drinks and tasting it. Are these new things that you're... These are, there are new things. I, I talked to Matt. I'm like, are you gonna have anything up for us to taste? And he's like, nah. he's like, it's not gonna be, it's gonna not gonna be till six o'clock. So, sorry, I no wanted, words, I no wanted words. to put something up for you guys, um, but you know, trying a new process for braising meats or something like that, trying a new process for smoking something, working on puree, working on a pickle, that sort of thing, getting that down. Wednesday's the day where that happens, um, and then 
also getting ahead on prep for the rest of the week. So prepping and experimenting. Right. Is that fair? Right. Because you're, you're not experimenting, experimenting on Friday. Friday. Yeah, no, no chance. Yeah. <laughs> um, so that's Wednesday. Also, I mean, we do all of our own laundry here as well. So it's a day where... That's rare, right? It is rare. Um, with, with the exception of... Uh, no. With, with the exception of the kitchen towels, we have a service for that. But all of these seersucker linens and then our polishing rags and then like aprons and stuff like that, we clean in house and fold it. So it's a day to get ahead on laundry as well. Yeah. Um, you brought up Bourdain earlier, and I, I've read his books, and it was interesting talk, hearing him talk about tablecloths, silverware, all the costs that go into it, and the linens and everything that goes into it. So when he removed those things, mm -hmm. and I remember what, I think it was Alinea was one of the first places, like this is one thing they talk about, is being not having the traditional setting when you go there, and I have a name there, so I don't know. But you're not having, you know, just the traditional idea of what it looks like when you sit down. Mm -hmm. I think it's nice just having a clean surface. And from a well, we do set, we do set up the tables for for uh, when we have service. Linens? No, not, not linens. linens. It That's is, what I mean. Like yeah. I, I like a hard surface. You can feel like this bar feels nice, right? Yeah. We have a linen under it. I don't think you're really helping by putting something on top of it, and maybe to clean it up afterwards. But mm -hmm. I feel like it'd be easier to go in in between and just clean it up. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is here to stay um, are the table turners, the um, isopropyl alcohol virus-killing single-use sani wipes, okay. which I was against. I didn't like them, but now having used them for a couple months, or how many weeks have you been open? Like seven weeks, something like that. I think they're great because um, using like a, a sandy bucket and a towel and switching that stuff out always leaves like residue and stuff on the it's table. It's gross too. And it is, it is kind of gross. And that residue is absolutely right. Yeah. You definitely looked at a, a table from it's an seen. angle. And yeah, 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 100%, um, especially when it dries. Yeah, so using the um, uh, virus preventative um, sandy wipes, the table turner ones, I was so against it because I was like, oh, that's a waste, but it's actually, I feel like it keeps things a lot cleaner and just having that between each guest, knowing that everything's been wiped down with one thing that is now gone and not going to be used again on another table. Agreed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> COVID has yeah. pronounced that to everyone. Yeah. It's like, no, single use. Yeah. Our environment doesn't care, but let's get it all clean. Well, hopefully the, the ones that we're purchasing are supposed to be biodegradable, right? Because yeah. they're just like whatever cloth, but mm -hmm. they, then... Where do they end up is the question. Yeah, we're going we're going on lots of tangents here. But yeah, I noticed these plastic straws. Yeah, so these are um, from Cocktail Kingdom, which is a great resource if you want to buy any type of bar. Do you throw these away? No, the reason. So, so what these get uh, soaked in the third compartment of the tri sink, uh, which is the sanitizer part, mm -hmm. and then we pull them out, and at the end of the night we put them in a bag. And then we run them through dish, and then we inspect them, and then put them back in here. I was waiting for the inspection part. And if they're not clean, we have a thing. Okay. But honestly, it's incredibly rare with the method that we use that anything gets in them, because uh, it's a it's a soak, it's a soak, and then um, wash in a mesh bag, and so you just kind of just you can actually kind of like grab a chunk and like look through all of them, and then. I would say maybe one in 50 has something in them. It's very rare. And they are, they are multi-use, but we have enough to where we've never used the same one during the, the same service. That makes sense. So, so, so in a given night, 
that's the only guest that's using it. And it's not getting used again until it's gone through the whole cycle and then also air dried as well too. So So you're doing prep and experimenting on Wednesday. Yeah. Go on. Uh, tasting, menu development for everything. Um, administrative stuff, which is just financial stuff. Um, laundry. Um, and so, so do you have washers and dryers downstairs? Yeah. 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 So we have a basement to your basement. We're, we're, it's, it's just it's, it's just, just over there. Back, yeah, right? yeah. So we put it put stuff through the cycles and then fold it, fold all the linens, get those ready. And I mean, we do cleaning projects. I water the flowers. Um, that's about it. That's Wednesday. Um, and for the kitchen, just the the prep part, it takes quite a bit. Um, our dishes aren't very complicated, but they do require, I think, very specific execution and techniques. Uh, that's kind of like our, our MO here is to do simple things well. Also, why the menu is pretty short, too. We don't have a ton of stuff, but you can order anything. It's going to be good, you know? Um, no one wants to walk into, walk into a restaurant and get a diner-type menu. I mean, it's a more common complaint than you would, you would think. Yeah. yeah, I think so. so. We, 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 we in the wrong place. We've, we've had a few people say things about, oh, the menu's small. And it's just like, I don't know if that's an observation or a complaint. And I just kind of go, you are correct. <laughs> like, I don't know what to say to that. You're right. Yeah. It's probably an observation because yeah. if you know the menu's small, you're just going to come here when you have a feel for something that's on the menu. Yeah. That's the beauty of living in a city like Chicago where you have so many food options. If I want penne, I know exactly where to go to penne. If I want right. penne and curry, I know exactly where to go for penne and curry. Okay. If, if I want Szechuan, I know where to go for Szechuan. Like, that, I think we live in a beautiful city for food. Mm -hmm. And if I want a smaller dish or a limited menu that I know is going to be seafood-oriented, I'll come here, right? And that's, that's the beauty of that. Some people are close, and they just want to walk to the most convenient thing, and like, oh, I don't like what's on the menu tonight. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I don't know what to say. It, it happens. We don't have burgers. <laughs> if we had a burger, I, th I don't think we'd be doing the interview. Yeah, yeah I know. Oh, a burger wouldn't fit on your menu, right? That wouldn't fit with the theme of what you are. Well, if you want to sell uh, only burgers, put a burger on your menu. Yeah. That's just how it goes. Yeah. If you put a sandwich or a burger on your menu, you that'll be... It's like, why are you buying anything else? You should just do that. Yeah. You ever been a small cheval? Mm-hmm. If I want a good smash burger... It's close to my house, and they have the boozy milkshakes. They do. So I can get a boozy milkshake, I can get a smash burger, and it's great. Like, what, what else am I there for? That's, that's why they have three things on the menu, or however many they have, right? Have you been to Minimot? No. You know Mott Street? Yeah. I've heard of Minimot. Where is it? It's, uh, it's on Logan, right by... It used to be... Do you remember that place? I think it was called Jam, right there? Yeah. You're like right where yeah, the farmer's yeah, market yeah. is? They, they do like a very small... So they're across from the parkway. Yeah. 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 Logan Parkway. Yeah. Um, and you have Mott Street, the bigger one, but they're doing like the same thing. It's like the same concept as Small Cheval, you know? Yeah. And it's people, good. People love Mott Street and have never gone there and had a good experience. I hate to say it. I don't want to talk poorly of anyone's restaurant, but like the food was good. Mm -hmm. The service was always terrible. Huh. From like front to back, like from entrance to getting there. And it was also the most crowded restaurant I've ever been in. But... You know, you gotta, you got to make a living, I understand. Well, we used to have six more seats in here, so... If it was this small, I'd understand. <laughs> we got 
it doesn't look like we have less seats, but that's because we poached our larger stools from Barbiscay and, okay. and also got bigger tabletops. So some people have come in and been like, I thought you guys removed seats. I was like, we did, but we got bigger tables for you? Is that OK? <laughs> There's nothing worse, too, when you go to a restaurant. You order, let's say you order four things, and not, they don't all fit on the table. You're like, so what do we do now? I don't mind getting a lot of items at once. What does make me upset is getting a lot of hot items at the same time, because then by the time you get to cold. So if you give me one hot dish too cold at the same time, I'm not going to be mad at you, even if it is crowding my table. Because I'll just be like, oh, I'll eat the pierogies first, you know? But when it, like, is all hot dishes at the same time, I, man. Good pierogi drop there. Well, well actually. It's hard to work into a conversation. Well, I, this, this first hot food I thought of that you could just cut like this. I don't know. Every culture has a, a wonton or a thing like that, right? Yes, they do, yeah. Stuffed pasta thing. Yeah. It's good. So if someone comes here, what, should, what do they have to order? They don't. Have, they can order whatever they want. They don't have to order anything. What's your favorite thing on the menu? All right, now it's the shrimp gazpacho salad, which is kind of like agua chile meets gazpacho. Agua chile is that ceviche style dish that has cucumber, avocado, lime, cilantro, and we have poached shrimp in there. That's kind of the main component, and then a gazpacho kind of nestled on the side. Um, we put salad in the name because we didn't. We wanted to kind of convey that it wasn't like just a soup. Um, but really, it's not just a salad either. Um, so the salad threw me off when you said it. Well, well, if it didn't say salad, people wouldn't order it because people are like, cold soup, who wants that? Um, so we added salad to it, and then it kind of throws people off. But You know what it does? It makes you ask a follow-up question. Yes. yes. And so I'm not turned off. I'm like, tell me more. I think it's just really appropriate for the weather, where you have poached shrimp and all the, that veggie goodness with lime and then also tanginess from the you know tomato and the gazpacho um i think right now the uh croquettes are one of the best we've ever had they're probably the simplest that's ever been on this menu but they're just executed very well I love croquettes. so i see it's with us salmorejo um so that's uh garlic olive oil sherry tomato breadcrumb so it's similar to like a romesco sauce, but it doesn't have nuts in it. What's the meat? Uh, chicken? Oh, in the in the croquettes? Yeah. Nothing. It's vegetarian. Vegetarian. Okay. So they're doing a uh, smoked piquillo pepper with it. What's piquillo pepper? Piquillo is um, a, a red pepper. It's as innocuous as like a bell pepper. Okay, you don't like that. Really, <laughs> you're like. Uh, it's, it's like it's, it's like a high flown word for bell pepper. It's it's not. It is okay. a completely different species. But it like it's one of those things where like they see piquillo and you think it's gonna be spicy. It's not. It sounds spicy. It's not, not though. though. That's okay. that makes it. I mean, it's great and it's used in tons of Spanish cuisine and lots of other cuisines. It's just kind of a different style of bell pepper. Have you ever seen like the small stuffed peppers? Yes. Those are a lot a lot of times piquillos. Okay. Like. Baba Reba is probably doing like a stuffed piquillo or something like okay. that. We did, a, we did a stuffed piquillo pepper. And they're, and they're never spicy. They're yeah. not. They're not. They, it's kind of like a mini bell pepper. It, it's kind of like a mini bell pepper. It's um, not quite as toothy. Do you know what I mean? It's not as thick, right? Yeah, it's, it's not, not as, as thin. thin exactly yeah, 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 yeah. About. yeah. The, so, the thickness of the, the skin or the whatever you want to call that right. is not the same. It's used because of its kind of like size and texture. Right, whereas like bell peppers kind of don't work 
as well for that for certain applications. I feel that bell peppers are usually thrown into things because someone doesn't know what to add. That's, That's true. true. But, but I mean, whether it's, it's an omelet yeah. or it's uh, curry. It Maybe is. It is a key ingredient to pepperad, which is like usually espalette pepper, but we use piquillo again, uh, bell pepper, and then onion caramelized together, which is like a starter for tons of Spanish dishes. Um, just, just kind of one of those things like mirepoix, where it's just like start with pepperad. So, so what was the word used? Pepperad. No, before that. Mirepoix. Yeah, it's that. That's celery, carrot, and onion. Okay. It's a starter aromatic for tons of braises as well as uh, stocks in, in French cuisine, which is kind of like, you know, the starting point for most Western cuisine. So mirepoix, there's piperade, there's sofrito, there's jardinera, that sort of stuff is uh, used a lot in uh, different cuisines. Do you cook? I do. N not a ton, but I can cook some stuff. So how does that work with with the owners, how active are they? Is, are, how, they how, what, okay, let's start this over. How active is the role of the owners? They're very active. Um, they were not here last week um, because Sari, uh, one of the owners, tested positive for strep throat. She sick, she went and got a COVID test, was clear, but then had strep throat. But usually Friday, Saturday nights, they're like the extra hands on deck, uh, okay. like running food, clearing tables, polishing glassware, that sort of stuff. That may not be a forever thing, that they're here every Friday and Saturday night. Um, but for now, it's kind of important because labor, good labor is hard to find right now. Yeah, I've been and, hearing that everywhere. Yeah, yeah. and um, we just really wanted to come back uh, mm -hmm. and have, and trust everyone that was working in the room. And they were, they were held up for a long time seeing no one last year. Um, and so I think they're happy to come in and be just even if it's so much as just saying hello to people and stopping by and touching a table that really adds a lot of value and having them on Friday and Saturday night like this last week because of I think everyone's being incredibly more cautious when when they're sick now with anything yeah they're like we're gonna stay away we don't want to get you guys sick um, and we're like yeah that's a great idea we'll just make it thank work. you yeah thank you um, that wasn't always the case in restaurants, though, to be honest. I think people were encouraged to power through it. They were. Yeah. And, like, that's just not the thing anymore. And, honestly, if I got sick or if Archie got sick or one of our cooks got sick, we would probably just not do service that night. Because we don't have anyone else. And we're yeah. so small. We'd probably just be like, I'm so sorry, and call people and, like, cancel. Because we don't. There's no one else. Which is also why we're only doing four services with this very limited staff right now. Um because we don't want anyone to get worn out and get sick and not be able to work. That makes sense. It's yeah. very professional. I, I hope we can, I mean, if we continue to be as busy as we, as we have been, we can probably stay at four. Um, at some point, we hope to hire a couple more people and maybe do a fifth day, like Wednesday. But I think we're always going to be closed at least two, two days because the whole idea of just like cramming people in and being open as many hours as you can be and what it really doesn't make you as much money as you would think. I've heard that from a number of restaurant owners, and just the Monday-Tuesday thing seems very logical to me. Yeah. People just have the weekend. They're exhausted. Mm -hmm. They don't want to go out again. Let those two days. Get, let that be the weekend for the restaurant owners, the Monday and Tuesday. Yeah. Yeah, it's, I think it works out great. 
the lack of labor supply that's out there, why do you think that is? I think there's a lot. Um, so childcare has been difficult. So if you have a kid, it probably makes more sense for you to stay home with your child than it does to go and work a low-wage job. Um, also, some people live in homes that have immunocompromised relatives. If you're living in a multi-generational home, you probably don't want to go out there and catch something and get your relative ill. Because even with the vaccine, if you are immunocompromised, the likelihood of you getting ill is still can, can be higher depending on what that is. And then I think also um, another way to think of a labor shortage is um, inflation, right? Because it's just a symptom of inflation. And we're going through an inflation because of the garden hose situation that happened where there was uh, less demand for everything. And now there's more demand than supply. And labor is just one of those things that is a part, a part of that as well. Yeah. I don't want to blame any sort of government relief that anyone got because that seems like that seems silly to me. Oh, I have to disagree with you. Well, you, you're that's your prerogative. Yeah, you know. it's just when you print more money, the dollar becomes worth less. Oh, I meant like in terms of the COVID relief. Ah, blaming okay. that and that running out in September, or states not taking. Oh that yeah, again. that's not the right approach. I yeah, agree. Yeah. I agree with you there. Because I don't think it. I, I think that maybe is making up some of it, but I don't think it's as much as you think. Particularly, like, if if cost of goods go up, right, and you have a child, and you're not home making food for your family, and you then have to go out and work and pay for transportation, which is more, you have to go and maybe, like, eat out lunch or figure out food while you're out there, which is going to cost you more, and then you also have to pay for child care, it's going to cost you more to go to work because the your low-wage job isn't meeting all those things. It's like, I'm going to stay at home and take care of my kid because... My partner will go out and work and will actually save money this way. When you said that the first time, I thought it was very eloquent because you're right. You know, if if, if my wife and I had kids mm -hmm. and it's just the two of us and we have to compromise us being there, but we have to hire someone there in the meanwhile, yeah. well, where does it really make sense? And should I be with my kid or should I hire someone to be with my kids so I can make a little bit more? Right. Well, I kind of have to depart here in a minute, take no care problem. of some stuff. Is there anything we didn't cover? No, no, I thought this was great. I okay. really appreciate your time. Yeah. Thank you for everything. It was no great. No problem.